Yeah, this is another riveting podcast of Cafe Americaine with your hosts, Chris DeGeorge. We were talking about Russian interference, of which there was none in the election of 2016 that got Donald Trump into the White House. We now have further evidence supporting that. Everybody is under the assumption that dastardly Russians came into the United States in 2014 and decided to sow discord within the American fabric of society. Well, what really happened was none of that. In fact, one of the vice presidents of Facebook came out and said the majority of Russian ad spending happened after the election. He has since retracted that statement because he got slapped on the wrist for speaking out of line. This statement is very, very interesting. Because if the majority of Russian ad spending happened after the election, we could potentially infer from that statement that the money being spent by said dastardly Russians was being used to ferment dissent against Donald Trump. So this had nothing to do about whether or not Donald Trump was going to be elected. This had something to do with just saying, screw everybody, we're going to try and be a little feisty. Well, let me tell you something. These dastardly Russians also decided to fund groups along the lines of hashtag resist. Anything along those lines were potentially, th those groups were potentially being funded by Russians. Now, let me ask you another question. If the Russians were so interested in getting Donald Trump elected, it, 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 that, why, why, why would they go and fund? The, well, let me, let me rephrase that all over again because I completely screwed up the question. How about that? It would make no sense for the Russians to fund Donald Trump. Because the Russians know that they could rely on somebody like Hillary Clinton to get them the things that they want, meaning nuclear material from Uranium One. They knew how to play the Clintons. They knew what they would get if they paid off the Clinton Foundation. They knew how to play the game in American politics. So... Knowing this, let me see if I can say the word no or new any more times. Uh, knowing this, and knowing that all anyone has to do to make it further in American politics and obtain resources that are being controlled by the Americans is to fund the Hillary Clinton machine or the Democrats or probably Republicans too, let's not leave them out, is just to pay them off. This Cowboy Donald Trump goes in there, and now we've got something and somebody that changes the playbook. The Russians, let me tell you, so let's just shoot straight. You'd rather be in bed with the devil you know than the devil that you don't know. This is pretty clear. The Russians would have more interest in having Hillary Clinton elected than they would having Donald Trump elected. And that is because they know how to manipulate the politics and the people around Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton has already proven herself to be one of the best, best lever pullers in politics and getting things done as long as you pay her. 
So the Russians knew that they could pay her, and the Russians know that they can get whatever they want from Hillary Clinton. So it's my opinion, and more than likely a lot of others, that the Russians would more than likely want somebody like Hillary Clinton, if not Hillary Clinton, in office than Donald Trump. Because they probably also know that if Donald Trump were to be elected, like he was, he would face an immense amount of resistance from everybody within the political landscape. So uh, you're telling me that the Russians wanted Trump to win? I don't believe that at all. I don't believe it. It just doesn't happen that way. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense. From, from a more structured standpoint, the Russians would want somebody like Hillary Clinton in office. So then we go to another person, Kim.com. Kim.com is, uh, I think he is kicked out of the United States or not allowed into the United States or wanted by the United States for, some, for, for hacking and a whole bunch of other nonsense. Kim.com has tweeted numerous times and hinted at he was involved in the release of John Podesta's emails to WikiLeaks. On more than one occasion, he has made reference that he knows a lot about what's going on. He tweeted on February 18th of this year, 2018, Let me assure you, the DNC hack wasn't even a hack. It was an insider with a memory stick. I know this because I know who did it and why. And he also stated that special counsel Mueller is not interested in my evidence. My lawyers wrote to him twice. He never replied. Never replied. We all, if you're paying attention or if you have paid attention to this whole Podesta email leaking scandal, and the Democrats like to say that the reason why Hillary Clinton lost was because WikiLeaks published the... Uh, the, the emails from that were hacked from Podesta. You know for a fact that there are, it, it takes a certain amount of time to download a certain amount of files, depending upon the range that you're downloading, uh, the range you have to the server. So somebody in New York can download files more quickly if these files are located in a server in Connecticut, on a server in Connecticut. And it takes a very, very long time to download files. Let's say if you're in Moscow and you're trying to download files from, I don't know, a server above the toilet bowl in somebody's house. Well, maybe not exactly that, but you get the point. Somebody in Moscow trying to download files from somebody in the United States or from a server in the United States is going to take a lot longer than it would if this person in Moscow was trying to download files from somebody in Berlin. So the range matters. The problem with this is that being that we can forensically analyze any sort of uploads or downloads or emails, whatever else, because everything is monitored, we found out that the, that the DNC hacks of Podesta, or the Podesta hacks, the Podesta emails, they weren't even uploaded in an amount of time that would even portray any sort of distance to the server he was getting this hacker was getting these emails from so what i'm saying is is exactly what kim.com is saying the no he wasn't hacked the emails were downloaded put on a memory stick and the memory stick was given to somebody associated with wikileaks who then published it nobody hacked it Somebody just downloaded it. 
It's it, that's all it is to that's all there is to it. And a lot of people point to Seth Rich, and he is the one that downloaded all of these emails. Seth Rich was a Democratic insider, and he was working with the Clinton campaign, and he was magically murdered in a crosswalk. No items of his, on him were taken from him. His wallet was left. His wristwatch was left. Everything was left on him. He was murdered in a crosswalk, and the media covered it up by saying, well, he was walking through a very, very nasty area, and he was hit by a bullet in a robbery gone wrong. No. No, somebody knew that he downloaded Podesta's emails. Somebody knew that he was talking to somebody within WikiLeaks, and he was shot in the crosswalk. That's what it is. And nobody in, D in Washington, D.C., apparently, even speaks about Seth Rich anymore. It's almost taboo. It is taboo because if you actually validate that Seth Rich had some sort of role in this and Seth Rich was murdered on purpose as retribution for committing such an act of treason within the Democratic Party, then you are going to be in trouble and you are by default implicating that there was some sort of conspiracy within the Democratic Party to get these emails off of Podesta's computer and into the hands of the public. Those emails have oodles oodles of information about all sorts of people and all sorts of goings-ons within the United States' political culture and the elite culture. Two of those things probably have to involve trafficking children. That's one, one of those two things. And the second thing, which is fascinating to me, is the idea that the human species is not alone and there were people that were trying to goad Podesta into ushering in disclosure about beings not from this planet and not from this dimension. Specifically, people within Podesta's emails reference things called celestials. Very, very important. Very, very important. Remember that. Remember that. Kim.com, as we digress like a drunk mental patient, also said... I have consulted with my lawyers. I accept that my full statement should be provided to the authorities, and I am prepared to do that so that there can be a full investigation. My lawyers will speak with the authorities. He says, if my evidence is required to be given in the United States, I'd be prepared to do it. I would need a guarantee from Mueller on behalf of the United States of safe passage from New Zealand to the United States and back. And guess what? Mueller is not interested in any of it. He's not interested in any of it. And I'll get to that in a second because, because Podesta, Podesta is the, being the person that we just spoke about, was flustered, flustered. He couldn't even control himself when he was on television. This is a lot of fun because Podesta was asked, well, how on earth, how on earth could the Russians influence the election to such a point, to such a point that Hillary Clinton was outsmarted? And I'll tell you what, Bernie Sanders isn't buying any of this either. Bernie Sanders was approached uh, earlier this week, and he, he was asked, well, you do know that the Russians were helping you as well. 
They were throwing money at the Bernie Sanders campaign and any sort of initiatives that Elizabeth Warren was throwing out there. And Bernie Sanders said, I, this is beyond me. I don't know. We, we knew what we knew at the time when we knew it. Okay, it's a nice dodge. And then he also was uh, asked something along the lines of, uh, do you know the influence that Hillary Clinton or the Russians had on the Hillary Clinton campaign with you involved in it and all this other stuff and blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, it, it clearly it appears that the Russian, not the Russians, the uh, Clinton campaign and the other Democrats supporting Hillary Clinton knew more about the Russian hacking than I did or anybody else. And if they did, and like we assume that they did, why didn't they tell the FBI? I'll tell you why they didn't tell the FBI, because they didn't, there was nothing there. There were no Russians. This was all an inside job, to coin a phrase. Nancy Cord, the host of Face the Nation, asked John Podesta, how is it that these Russian operatives knew to focus on purple states, meaning states that were up in the air, they're half blue, half red during the election? How were they... How did they know to focus on purple states like Michigan and Wisconsin? And your campaign, meaning the Hillary Clinton campaign, didn't know. And Podesta responded, of course, we spent a lot of time and energy and effort in all those states. And then Nancy says, no, 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 no stop. Hillary Clinton did not spend much time in purple states. She didn't. She flew right over them because the media was blowing smoke up her ass, and she and the media thought, along with the Clintons and along with the globalists, they thought as long as we can influence the media, then the voters will follow suit. So if we throw out there that Hillary Clinton is winning everything, and we show all of these neat graphs that show that Hillary Clinton is so far ahead above the polls that you shouldn't even come out to vote if you're a Trump supporter, then guess what? Hillary Clinton is going to win. Well, that didn't happen now, did it? And uh, uh, Podesta's big response was, well, we had Tim Kaine, and Barack Obama and she spent an enormous time in Pennsylvania and Michigan. Right. Sure. Okay, one of the goals of Hillary Clinton and the media and people within the DNC was to frame the narrative. And by framing the narrative, that means controlling the media and the messages that were being displayed on television and in media across the United States to influence voters, like I just said. And we have somebody else. Somebody tweeted, and I love this. Somebody tweeted, all of the individuals within the media that were getting their marching orders from the Democratic National Committee and also Hillary Clinton. And you have such famous names as George Stephanopoulos. Well, that's no surprise there. George Stephanopoulos worked with Bill Clinton, and he was part of Bill Clinton's staff. Big deal. Mark Halperin from Bloomberg and CNN. That's no big surprise. Nora O'Donnell from CBS. Nora O'Donnell sucks, by the way. MSNBC, Rachel Maddow. Oh, big, large surprise there. Uh, Ryan Lisa from The New Yorker, the haughty New Yorker, and a smattering other uh, journalists from The New York Times. I'm trying to do two things at once, and it's not working very well. 
So there you go. And, and there are a ton of people within the media that have been influenced by the Democrats. And for some reason, people actually give them credence. And people actually say, well, I heard it in the news. Well, here's the problem with that. And the Americans are, they mean well, they're very passionate, but they're also stupid. And the reason why they are stupid is because they think they're educated by reading the New York Times. They think they're educated by listening to programs on television or watching programs on television that are talking about news stories and current events. Well, the problem with this is that all most media organizations, I'm not included in that, most media organizations are jerking each other off. They're jerking each other off because they are framing the narrative. They all refer to the other news organization. So if you have a few people at the top and a few people on the board of directors, such as, let's say, you're on the board of directors of NBC or if you've got a lot of supporters with NBC, but that same person also supports Fox News, you're framing the narrative. Oh, sure, they're on the right, and they can, they can talk about this story. And the left, oh, sure, and they can frame the same story in a different light on the left side of the spectrum. But they all refer to one another. And they will only talk about certain things. So no new evidence or no new topics within these stories are actually being developed. Nothing is actually being investigated. There is no more investigative journalism. There's only reporting. There's only people going up there and reading off of a script. The investigative journalist aspect of the media is long gone. The mainstream media is no longer interested in investigating stories. They're interested in framing the narrative and manipulating voters and manipulating public mindset. That's what they're doing. Any sort of investigative journalism is pushed to the side. It's pushed to the side and said, oh, this individual is a conspiracy theorist. This person is a crank. He is off or she is off to the sides on the very, very extreme horizon. No, no, this person did some homework. This person tried to get the truth out there, but you in the mainstreams, don't want to accept that because your bosses decided to neuter you or decided to get your tubes tied if you're a female and they will only pay you if you talk about certain stories in a certain light you'll never hear about seth rich in the mainstream media you'll never hear that john podesta in his emails leaked through wikileaks makes references to child trafficking and how his friends are interested in Satanism and how these same people invited him to a Satanic dinner. You'll never hear that in the media, in the mainstream media anyway. Why not? It's right there. Anybody can read it. It's because the left and the right in the United States are on the same 
side. Sure, they may have differences every now and then, but they don't want the overall structure to change. They want people in the middle. They want people at each other's throats because it makes for a good story. It makes for ratings. If you're a politician, it makes for funding efforts. For example, if you're talking about the abortion issue and there is an abortion vote, the people on the right don't want abortion to go away because they get money from voters. They get money from organizations when a vote is about to come to fruition. It's much more profitable for a, a right-wing politician to not have abortion illegal because every time an abortion vote comes up, they get money because they're going to fight the good fight. And when it gets turned down and abortion is still legal, then we say, or the, not we, but the right-wingers say, oh boy, we certainly tried our best. Let's try harder next time. Well, guess what? They didn't spend all the money that you gave them. They took it and they ran with it. They don't care about whether abortion is illegal or illegal. They want the money that goes along with it. And that's what I'm talking about. The left and the right have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo. They have a vested interest in making sure that any sort of major issue remains as it is. Because it is more profitable to have a stalemate than it is to actually get a resolution. And this is one of the main reasons why I speak into a microphone in front of nobody. Because I'm not interested in maintaining the status quo. The human species is on the cusp of an energetic revolution. And their maintaining the status quo is not going to work anymore. The human species must be awoken. They have to wake up. It's time. And so this is why I do what I do. That's it for Cafe American. I am your intrepid host, Chris DeGeorge. Until next time.